Is LaMelo Ball the real deal? Can the Wizards fix their problems? Will the Hawks straighten themselves out? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the NBA Breakdown over on Locker Room, the Locker Room app. Uh, my favorite place to be on Wednesdays and Sundays recently at 11 a.m. And glad to have you all here. Uh, I have to. Ho- I hope that this show will be a little bit more um, focused on NBA uh, and nothing else will happen like last Wednesday show when literally the government <laughs> almost had a meltdown and had a insurrection. So uh, and in the, literally in the middle of the show, my phone started <laughs> lighting up text. I had no idea what was going on for like the, the last half hour of the show. But hopefully nothing like that will happen during this show at this time. But thank you all for joining us and being here. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Um, I'm going to have a special guest coming on uh, at some point for a segment as soon as he gets in here. But either way, don't forget, if you want to talk about the NBA, please join me. Phil, let's help me fill the space up a little bit. It'd be nice to chop it up about the NBA. Um, I, I know as a coach, I didn't want to necessarily have my voice be droning on and on all the time, all season long. So I'd love to hear from you guys, too, and hear what you guys think about what's uh, what's happening across the NBA and whether or not I've um, seen what you're talking about. We can talk about it. So um, certainly on a Sunday morning, if we're talking about anything from last night, it would probably be LaMelo Ball. And I know uh, that was an exciting uh, moment for me to watch because I had been trying to tell people, you know, you have to be a little bit more patient on him. I think he'll adjust and it might take him 10 or 20 games. Well, it looked like it might have taken him about 10 games. He's the youngest player ever in the NBA to earn a triple-double. And the interesting thing about this is when you look at the the, the, the schedule, I wanted to see, because, you know, the Charlotte Hornets are a little bit surprising at 5-5 five and five across 10 games. I'm not so sure we thought that they would have, you know, they'd be great this year or even 500. But, again, the scheduling is very strange this year, and it's going to be one reason why you might want to put an asterisk next to this season. Um, a, because – you know, they play the same team twice in a row often. It's not every time. It's not quite like the baseball thing when they play three in a row or whatever. But it, it ends up being a weird, like, mini series. And that does change the way you prepare and how much better you are prepared, like, in the second game. So there's probably some statistical work we can do to look at, like, what's happening in the second of these back to back games. Um, are, are, you know, teams adjusting better or not? And, uh, and if so, who and which teams? So, um, you know, but the Charlotte caught the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know if you guys saw there was an interesting article in The Athletic um, about a, I guess, a certain film session this past week that didn't go very well uh, with the Hawks. And apparently John Collins was calling out Trey um, Young about the way he was playing, which is weird only because Trey, you know, he averages a ton of assists. It's worth, you know, let me, if I look him up real quick, I'll tell you. Um, you know, he, he looks to pass. So it's not like you'd say he's completely um, – you know, being selfish out there, but it's a different team from last year for sure. And so as a result, the things that Trey Young might have felt he needed to do uh, to get, you know, shots off because the other team might not be able to do that uh, are not as required, right? He's got a better team around him and he can trust them a little bit more. So um, that is a, a whole a different change. And so obviously John Collins, interestingly enough as well, you know, if you look at Collins's numbers, uh, he's actually averaging, I thought it was a little higher, it's 17 and um, and and 7.8 rebounds, which is a little bit low for him. He's usually you know, at 20, and that could very well be part of the issue here. And I know he's going to tr- he's trying to renegotiate or sign a, you know extension for his contract, I believe. So he wants his numbers to be as high as possible. 
Um, and so as a result, like if we look at John Collins' numbers compared to last year, let's look real quick. You know, I suppose if you're going to say, well, why would he be scoring less? He was at 21.6 last year. 19.5 the year before, and now he's at 17.2. So it's a drop. Uh, and the field goal attempts are also down from last year, almost three. So you have to imagine, well, who's running the show? That's, you know, Trey Young, and that's the guy you'd point to immediately to say, well, that might be why he's not doing as well. Um, so a lot of whole host of things. Now, the other thing about that is if anybody's ever been on a team, you know, getting into a little bit of a kerfuffle during a uh, film session is is standard procedure that happens all the time almost as much as like getting it when you have a fight in a practice and everyone wants to make a really big deal about it that happens guys get amped up they get upset they get it you know they've been around each other for so long it's also a very strange season like i said and so um all these things factor into that and so um i don't know if i want to make too much of it and i don't know how trey young has responded i mean we know how he responded by the way the last couple games suboptimal uh to say the least okay and if let's really quickly let me bring those up here because um the first game back you know they basically was um he seemed like listless i actually want to go through the game myself with my own eyeballs and just to kind of see but he see he almost kind of had that thing where i think maybe was it kobe at one point who um uh what kobe had said something like uh oh no he got criticized for something and then he goes okay fine i'm not going to shoot i'm not going to engage i think it was a playoff game and he, he scored like seven points and it was a real mess and it almost felt like that where trey young was going to say the same thing like fine you don't want me to shoot so much i won't he ended up taking um nine shots in that game only hit two uh and they got beat uh by the hornets and then they play the hornets again he, he shot 19 times so he was back to his normal aggressive self you know at least shooting the ball but he only made five didn't make a three uh did have 10 assists but they lost by eight again the same result so um it's a really interesting thing to keep your eye on i might maybe dig into the footage and try and do a video on this only because i did a video on the hawks really excited about them and uh you know they have a chance to still have a special season but this might be one of those growing pains they got to get through to get on the other side um, so keep your eye on that, but, uh, let's see here. What else are we going to talk about? And also, oh, we have some comments in here. Let's see. Noah was saying, yeah, he was pissed over the early clock threes. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second, because Noah, you have a great point about Collins being pissed about the early shot clock threes. So there's only a few players in the league who will pull from 35, 40 feet off the dribble, you know, without passing, right? That list is short. It is Steph Curry. And I bet it's like, what, Damian Lillard? Probably that's about it. Who, who am I missing? Anybody else? Um, so the point being that, I, and, and, they, and they've been doing it for a while. And I've said this for a while. You might have heard me say this in the past. So basically the idea for that is you better be the nicest guy on the team. You better be the best player, like the best guy in the locker room on the team. The nicest guy, the most amenable, because – Otherwise, your teammates will never tolerate <laughs> you jacking up a 40-footer. Now, in the defense of Steph and, and Dame, they do hit their fair share. you got to also hit them. That's no question. But to the big guys specifically, if they're going to be trudging along and grabbing rebounds and getting the, you know grinding it out like that, and then they don't even get a chance to touch the ball because your team, you know, the point guards are jacking it up from 35-40 with, with uh, you know, 19 seconds on the shot clock. Well, you better hope that you're so friendly with them and they like you as a person that you can get away with that. And that might be an issue that Trey has to work on. I don't know how, how um, you know, how friendly he is, how open he is, or maybe he's just sort of more quiet to himself. It could be his personality. But if you want to take those threes, 
then I, in my mind is a team situation. And from a coaching perspective, you just got to, they got to have to like you and be like, Oh, I like him. So I don't have animosity that won't build <laughs> if you can follow that. Um, so that's a really important uh, concept to, uh, to understand as far as that. So we'll see. But I think that the Hawks will be able to get through this. And you might be feeling like you're being held back in your business in the same way as you've outgrown QuickBooks and need more analysis than your outdated spreadsheets can provide. NetSuite can solve all your problems by eliminating wasteful spending on multiple systems and platforms as it will give you all the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. It would be like an NBA team having me do a breakdown of each and every one of their games finished immediately when the final buzzer sounded. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite by Oracle and let the world's number one cloud business system work for you. NetSuite can show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash coach Nick. So visit netsuite.com slash coach Nick and schedule that tour so you can find more success in your business using NetSuite. And again, the, the, the Charlotte Hornets are a little bit uh, of a surprise. They are playing a little bit better than I think anybody would have thought. And a lot of that has to do with LaMelo Ball, who, you know, is coming in uh, as the brother. And by the way, Leangelo is pretty good too. Like he, he, he probably will get a shot uh, again to like sort of play in some NBA games, which would be amazing. But then again, I was thinking about this, you know, uh, for all of um, the father's issues and how, you know, boisterous he was and, and maybe caused trouble with his kids because no one maybe wanted to have him on the team. But for him, you know, he's been pretty quiet. He's not causing any controversy anymore. And he got, he got two kids in the NBA and maybe probably a third, which that's amazing. But then you got to think, well, what about the holidays? They have three players, three, three, three uh, brothers in the same on the, on the, in the NBA. That's that's equally amazing, you know. Uh, but I will say that pound for pound, Lonzo and, and uh, Lamelo could end up being, uh, you know, better than you know the, the holiday brothers. Maybe I mean Drew is great, Justin's fine, and Aaron is you know on his way. We don't know, but um, already though, what we're seeing from Lamelo. Uh, is that kind of acclimation that I had sort of predicted was going to happen once he got used to the regular season a little bit, uh, the speed, you know, and he's been playing against, he's been playing up like this for his whole, you know, his whole life since he was, you know, 11 and 12, they've they've been playing him up. So it's not like he's intimidated or anything, but there is a natural need to get used to, you know, whatever situation you're in. And this one happens to be the highest, the NBA, longest, fastest, hardest to deal with. Uh, defensively when you're playing with the ball like he does. But we're going to have Adam Sanko come on in a minute. Naismith lives over on Twitter, and he's going to weigh in on Lamella Ball as well shortly as I got a text from him. So we'll talk more about him too because I'm really excited to hear about what he thinks about this um, before I get too in-depth with what I was seeing last night. And uh, But let's get uh, Daniel uh, wants to come in and talk. So let's bring him in real quick before Adam comes on and uh, see what he – I have a feeling he's going to have some Lamello information uh, based on his – Australian uh, appearances. Daniel, how's it going, my man? Oh, not bad. How are you? Oh, uh, just uh, I'm okay. You know, uh, we're staring at the TV a lot too, a uh, lot of the news a lot more than I should be. But uh, let's let's talk about basketball. What do you say? Yeah, I, I might speak again uh, towards the end of the show, but I quickly wanted to bring up something that I've been waiting to bring up and like waiting to see if it fixed. But um, I think it's too desperate. I want to talk about Washington. Okay. And my man, Russell Westbrook. Um, my first question with them would relate to 
who do you think fault, well, I should say, the fact that they are the worst team in the NBA is? Okay. Well, you know, it's a really good question, and it's going to be a video sooner than later. I, I don't always want to do, like, uh, you know, negative videos. You know, it's it's kind of a downer. Um, but sometimes you got to say, well, what is going on and why? Um, you, know, you know, in his defense, he didn't play last night, neither did Beal. And they actually, actually only lost by four. I kind of want to get my eyes on that and see why. But I mean, you know, it's it, it, can we call it growing pains? Can we call it just sort of having, you know, you're talking about two big personalities basketball-wise with Bradley Beal and, and uh, Russ. Um, and so that's going to take time to, you know, figure that out. But I kind of want to look, I, I call up the schedule right now just to kind of get a handle on who they've been playing. You know, so the Philly or uh, the Magic twice, the Bulls twice, Minnesota, they, they actually beat the Nets and then um, – They've lost to Philly again, Boston, and Miami. So it, their season's kind of been up and down as far as who they played and quality of play. So I don't know if I can even point to that. So, you know, listen, Russ hasn't been playing great. Uh, let's quickly look at his, his numbers. I want to get that real in my in my front of me. So he's he's uh, only shooting thirty seven point eight percent from the field, and that's always mm-hmm. been his issue thirty percent from the from three, and he's taken almost five a game now. Um, and so, you know, that's the issue. I, I could have predicted it was going to be a problem just because him and Beal, uh, it, it's going to take a lot of time to get used to. But, um, you, you know, he's not playing well. He's not shooting well. Uh, he's turning the ball over higher than he probably – I think it's career high, almost a career high in turnovers. So what are you seeing? Anything specific that you can talk about? Uh, definitely. Um, so let me start off by saying that I thought coming into the season that Russell Westbrook was still a top 15 player. Um, he was my favorite player, and he you know, still is, but he has given me a lot of frustration. I thought with Bradley Beal and, you know, they've got the snipers with Bertans and even, even Bryant. Like, he's gone down. Bryant has missed the season now. He'll have an ACL. But I just really, really thought that if you could get Russell Westbrook in positions to score and be successful, that Washington would just be there off. Like, I know they had no defense. They got no defenders. But if you're going to offset that, like they could kind of just play really, really fast-paced. Westbrook scoring twos, Beal scoring threes. But it's not like that at all. Like their offense is so inefficient, let alone like, you know, their defense is really bad. But it's like a lot of their, even their plays for Beal, like we talk about like Beal 61. I watched every dribble of that game and that 61 wasn't necessarily as impressive as what it seems to be because it was a lot of Beal... Just because Danny Green could not guard him at what like, Danny Green is just too, I don't know if it's too old, you know, or I expected too much of Danny Green, but he can't, he couldn't hang with him. So I thought, you know, Bill 61 was a necessary 61 that came a lot of, and then you like you watch their offense, and it's a lot of pin downs for him to shoot long twos. It, yeah. Like, it's like I'm pretty sure that the Washington Wizards have the highest frequency of jumpers between 15 and 19 feet. Like, you watch Russell Westbrook, he'll dribble it down. He'll catch it on the right wing. I could throw a pass, and he'll get it back towards the right wing, and it's usually the right side. He'll take four to five dribbles and shoot an 18-footer. Like, yeah. why is he shooting 18-foot jump shots? You know, it, like, to, to his credit, I, I've looked at the numbers. Um, ever since his first two games where he was a combined 0 for 6 from 3, he's shot 35% from 3 since then. So his three balls been going in a bit, like, as of late. But... He still shouldn't be shooting five, you know, and 
to me, Washington needs to. I would I would throw up Troy Brown Jr. because they're not even playing him. I'd throw in two second rounders, Rob Robin Lopez easily because they're giving him seven million dollars. And if Bertans continues to shoot thirty percent from three, he's he's giving you no nothing of value if he's not shooting thirty seven percent on twelve attempts. You know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, so he, you know you, the, the low percentage can be explained if he's shooting that much, but he's shooting like eight on, and thirty percent on them. Like you know, if you that's twenty six million dollars. You know, that's a lot of money you can get out of guys. And if you throw in maybe even a first, like you know, Washington might not want to do that, but you can go out and get some really good pieces if you're throwing like that's twenty six million dollars with a couple picks. You know, but they need to do something because this is crazy. Especially, I don't think they need to fire Scott Brooks. I could coach that team better than Scott Brooks right now. I swear to God. Uh, I mean, great, all great points, by the way. And that's what I love having you on here to get me, you know, some, get me going, get my juices flowing about what, how Beal is decking. Now, don't forget, Beal um, has traditionally shot a lot of long twos, right? That was his issue for a while. And they kind of finally got him to get back behind the line and shoot more. You know, this wasn't a thing, that, you know, that long ago. But let me think. And if I look really quickly at his uh, numbers, you know, he was shooting four in the fours. When, and then he finally, in 2016-17, got to like, you know, seven and six and a half is where he should be on threes. So he's kind of like not, not quite reverting because he's, he's still taking over six. But um, I do see a little bit of that. Uh, in fact, in the 60-point game, we showed it. Like, he, they ran the same play a couple times. One of them was a long two, and he nailed. And the other one, he actually was like, oh, I better get down to three and shoot that. Um, you know, now the other part about what we're bringing Russ in is that it's just, it is disruptive to some degree, right? It is going to change everything. So, I, I mean, listen, we have to battle between thinking, okay, they really are the worst team in the NBA. Or this is just the, the growing pains of a 15-game, you know, without a great training camp and whatever. But, you know, we, we, we could criticize, criticize um, Scott Brooks all we like and would probably be pretty validated for doing that because, um, you know, he's never really exhibited the kind of, uh, you know, creative, creative uh, offense that we would like to see from other player, other coaches, right? And that kind of ball movement. And, by the way, that could very well be like Bertans having troubles as well. Uh, I can guarantee you Bertans is going to get back to, you know, elite status or somewhere close to that. I, there's His no way. His form is really good. His form is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually his form is interesting to us because it's a little bit of a two-motion shot and it's a high release and um, not the typical typical way we've seen the better shooters do it. But he's got terrific uh, control and consistency with that. And either way, we've, yeah, we've, we've seen enough from him over the last several years to, yeah, to know that he is a great shooter. He will, you know, he will shoot much better. Um, they just lost Thomas Bryant, though. And that's mm-hmm. going to be a big blow. He was playing really well for them and doing a lot of the dirty stuff. He tore his ACL. Um, so that's going to be a big issue for them, too, because I, I don't know who, who they're bringing in now to play center. I guess Robert, it's Robin Lopez. Uh, and then uh. they're hoping Mo uh, – I'm hoping, uh, I'm pretty sure they are, too, that Mo will just stop fouling and shoot threes better. You know, like – but, like, what, what I don't understand is, it's like, it's like watching – I've watched OKC since, like, I only started watching basketball from, like, 2013 onwards. I watched our offense under Scott Brooks, and it, like it's watching that all over again. But the problem is, a Westbrook's older, and b Bradley Beal isn't Kevin Durant. You know, yeah, it's exactly like watching it all over again. So it's giving me the same headaches, and it's it's making me scratch my head because I'm sitting like, you know, you have shooting. There's this guy Garrison Matthews. You bring him out, you can run. You know. But Tans is six ten. Is he really again? You know, you know my you know my opinion on centers is like you know, 
get some small ball and he should be running a center, like a kind of a center. Wow. Off, he, and then he can't defend fours, you know, as long as he, you know, he'll get destroyed by most fives, but he's 6'11", you know, six, he's got some size, you know, huh. like it, if you just had a bunch of shooting next to Westbrook and have him attack and going downhill again, like he's just really passive. Like I wouldn't put him in my top. It's hard to say, you know, it, it could be, could it be growing pains? Like the thing with Russell Westbrook teams, right. Is they have expectations now, you know, with, with Washington, and you had the teams that would trade that would trade for Russell Westbrook, um, like New York and Charlotte. You know, Charlotte before I had another ball, it was all bad teams, you know. But the problem with, with trading for Westbrook is like you expect that to fix, you know. And now that they're really, really bad, it's like, do we change our opinion on Westbrook? Does he actually help a team win? I'm like, well, he does. Sure. Oh well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Listen, I've been on the record for a long time about Russ and 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 the winning part of it. Uh, decision making, inefficiency. Uh, you know, there's there's a skill deficit there for him too. Doesn't really have a floater. Doesn't really have a three point shot. Uh, you know, his his pull up. I I have to look and check, but I'm pretty sure his percentage his, his percentage is down anyway across the board. So the pull up 15, 18 footer is not going in either. So it's like, what do you have, right? Well, you don't have much. You have an athletic guy who is on the down end of his uh, of his career on that end, as far as uh, you know, explosiveness and all those things. You know, like I, I'm just watching a clip of him just now getting blocked by taco fall and it was like you know the guy is seven five and he's literally tried to like dunk over him and i'm like and, and he's jumping from like the dotted line that's just not a good decision um mm. and it's going to lead to those things so we'll see but either way daniel we can let's chop up in a minute i got uh yeah my uh my buddy adam wants to come in and um no. we're going to talk that but we'll, we can we'll revisit this or we can talk about something else too at the end of the show what do you say no worries sounds good all right you got it thanks daniel all right, now let's bring in Adam Stanko. Adam, oh, let me hit the button better. Adam, what's going on, my man? Coach Nick, it's good to talk to you. It's good to be on here, man. This is fun. Hey, thank you. Welcome to the studio. Like, basically, I guess the internet radio show these days is what they're called. The kids are calling it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and it's Sunday morning. I hope you're having a good one so far. Yeah, it's been it's been good. I'm. Uh, I, I mean, it was just fun listening to the conversation. I, I love. Uh, Anyone who wants to debate you about Russell Westbrook, I thought that would be another hour or so that we'd be. Oh, we'd be listening very to dangerous, that. very dangerous, and uh, and yeah, but I think we all, you know, it, it took a while. It took several seasons, I think, for more and more people to kind of understand at least where I was coming from uh, mm-hmm. all these years. Um, and I don't feel good about like having to say this and give negative analysis to, to, on certain players, but um, you know, at, at some point you got to realize where we're at and what the, what the re, uh, reality is. And, you know, they're, they're, they're worse than they were last year, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Um, I, you know, it's interesting because for a long time, it looked like your Russell Westbrook would be a guy that would instantly elevate you to a certain level of wins. And if he's not in the right spot now, and maybe he will do that based upon the team that he's on, but if he's not in the right spot now, you could certainly see the negative impact as opposed to the, the positive effect. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point. And again, I'd be willing to give them benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, they can still work this out. It's, you know, they, they didn't have a great training cramp, you know, time and then mm-hmm. all these different things. Uh, but like I had, I'm already seeing it. It's like they're, they're giving him a sag and his, so his man's getting in the way of everybody else. And, um, and, you know, and then he's forcing a lot of things. And so, you know, maybe if he calms down a little bit and just tries to do a little bit less, he'll be better. Um, but that's what I've been, you know, he's been having to try and do that for, 
a long, long time. I mean, he's still getting 11 assists a game, so he's still, like, dominating the ball, yeah. you know, and getting and throwing those passes. I, at one point, I might try and figure out a way. People have talked about this before with him and, like, maybe LeBron saying that, like, they don't throw the ball unless the guy is, like, in a shooting position, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. I, I really don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if you can do that at, at this level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's no, it's a good point. And the other thing that's interesting about about Russ is that he's one of those guys in the league that you talk to other players and former players, and they love him. And that's where there's the disconnect between not just the analytics guys, but oftentimes evaluators, front office personnel, because of just how hard he plays, how hard he works, how hard he prepares. And I don't think people, you know, on the outside, we're not as familiar with that, but we can still evaluate some of the results, you know, and yeah. that's and that's the tricky part. And so it's one thing, you know, there's certain guys that he's not one of those guys that people don't like to play with. They love to play with him. And they respect his well, guys around the league respect his game. I don't know how much teammates love it sometimes because of his style of play. But he is so hard nosed and gets to the gym early. You know, he's one of those guys who comes hours early to the gym, doesn't put up with other people not working hard. And so for that, he's beloved among the league guys about his intensity and his work ethic. So it's interesting um, sometimes there's a disconnect there. Yes, and I, but I will say this. I'm not so sure that everybody loves to play with him. And yeah. I think that a lot of times guys are like, yeah, we're, we're tight, we're great friends, whatever. You know, like KD has said that. And then when KD left, I mean, you remember what happened in the first game back. Like, they almost got into a fight. Of course. <laughs> now, I know it's competitive and it's in the moment and everything like that. But I think a lot of a lot of feelings were coming out then that maybe he didn't even knew he had. And, by the way, there, there might not be a, a, a player I'd want to hang out with more than Russ. He seems like a really fun guy, kind of quirky and nutty and out there. That I would love that. you know. So I, I have a feeling like, yeah, that, that whole side of him, which is not as intense as the what you see on the court, uh, could be really fun and a great guy to be with. But uh, I don't know. I feel like there's enough evidence of guys sort of complaining a little bit, and then we saw that, that, uh, that you know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we're best friends. I love him, you know. And, and that, who knows if that's really the case, but yeah, but listen, no, I guess, I yeah. guess, I guess my, I, I'm more even referring to just guys in general around, around the league who do, who probably aren't even playing with him. So you think about the guys that just because they respect, you know, they work out with him in the off season yeah. and it's all the LA connection guys. And then, you know, so there's, there's sort of this, this thing where there's a respect, I should say. And sometimes that's the thing where it's thrown off and, you know, you get players. I mean, we just heard Draymond Green go off about this yesterday where players, go off about, oh, well, you know, media types don't know. They don't understand the game. They don't know this. Well, if you just listen just to players about how you should craft a team, they're going to steer you in the wrong direction too oftentimes, and people don't sometimes understand that. But Oh, that's an interesting point too. I mean, you know, we were discussing this whole Draymond Green thing. I'm assuming people might have seen it where he, you know, detonated on um, – well, I mean, basically he was sort of saying they don't even know what they don't know. And if you don't get to admit that, then, you know, it's there's no way to help them. And them being, I guess, media people that cover the NBA. Um, <laughs> and I, I thought that was interesting because I think he's right. I mean, you know, I, I hope he wasn't talking about me <laughs> because, no. Uh, no. you know, I, I, I know him a little bit. Like, he, he seems nice to me when I talk to him. So I, I'm assuming that he, you know, knows a little bit what I do. But, um but uh, he is right, though, and, and there's no question there are times when I'm reading and seeing stuff, uh, analysis that's written or even video-wise, and it's it's wrong, and it makes me really upset because like, it's getting out there. And, I, and so I guess I feel exactly how Draymond would feel 
when he sees like that is wrong and people are reading it and listening to it and they're going to believe it. And now the whole, it, you know, it's a little bit like politics. The whole thing, the, the whole worldview is, is tilted in the wrong way because of the, the, you know, the information that was passed along in the beginning. I mean, I think all that stuff is is spot on. And it's, um, you know, when you and I sort of hit on this, I think we were texting about it yesterday and just this idea that misinformation can just it's weird. It takes on a life of its own. And, and the narrative just starts to spread, whether it's about how a certain player plays, whether it's a way a coach coaches and this stuff just gets out there. And oftentimes it's just based on on stuff that's just wrong. Uh, and just whether it could be incomplete information or what have you. And it's so interesting, you know, when, when you start to get the real story, sometimes you understand that, oh, that's that's not what happened either on a particular play, um, a strategy for a team, uh, just stuff that was happening, even in the locker room and stuff. And I, and I understand for players that must be extremely frustrating that people are, you know, making evaluations about how a guy plays. And, and there's breakdown videos. I mean, it's not on b-ball breakdown but there's big breakdown <laughs> videos out there and you know you watch them and you go that's not what happened on, the, on that yeah. play like you're turning it into something that it isn't oh absolutely and by the way you know i, I joke that like every nba coach has it in the contract they acknowledge that they're gonna get uh you know criticized by assholes like me uh by taking the job <laughs> And, you know, because because listen, I can we could criticize weird playing lineups and they're not playing this guy or that guy. There could be reasons nobody has any idea why that are so valid and we would never even question it if we knew. And uh, but, you know, it, it, we can only operate on what we do know, I suppose. And I certainly try and keep it within the lines at the very least. Um, but, you know, I mean, listen, did you happen to notice what the, uh, the what happened with uh, the Hawks and uh, Collins versus Trey Young? I didn't, although I, I had heard. um I had heard that there's a lot of talk yesterday that that Trey Young might be dealing with an injury right now, and so oh. I, I, I it it it's funny because I right before you said that I was thinking like the current Hawks situation in which people were talking. There's been talk like, hey, Trey Young might be playing with an injury, and I'm thinking to myself, see, that's the kind of thing that yeah, you know, guys battling an injury, especially a guy like Trey Young who's so valuable to everything that team does, at least offensively, um, and and you know, runs that ship. Like the idea that if a guy like that's playing hurt and just trying to, you know, fight through it, oftentimes like that, that's the thing. It can completely impact a team and no one else has any clue. And so sometimes the guy's playing poorly. Teammates are going to love him for it just because he's getting out there on the floor. And yet he's going to get eviscerated by fans and media. But that being said, I didn't see the, uh, the Collins young stuff. What, what was the story? I mean, basically, there, there was a film session, and Collins kind of, I mean, you know, stood up to Trey and said, I think they were centered on the early threes. Uh, and that, and I mentioned that before in the beginning of the show, just how, you know, unless you're like the nicest guy on the team and the most magnanimous and they love you, you it's hard to get away with that. Steph mm-hmm. is beloved because he really is a, a truly nice person. He's interested in his teammates. You know what I mean? He's not aloof and separated like a, you know, some sort of prima donna superstar. And, you know, and like Dame Lillard is exactly the same way. So those guys, you know, and, and by the way, they hit them. So they, they have to hit enough of them be, to begin yep. with. But but um, certainly if you're going to be that guy that consistently one or two times the game is going to jack it from 35 without passing, uh, you know, you need that buffer of like, oh, well, I like him. You know, I'm not coming from an area there. But the, the more concerning thing to me in that article, though, was trickled out later on in there was this notion that perhaps they're not as happy with uh, Lloyd Pierce and mm. his in-game stuff. Now, that is probably the more 
red alarm fire kind of thing that I would point to if I'm looking at this whole situation because, you know, he's struggled with a you know a suboptimal roster for several years now, but now he's got a better team, and yep. if they're going to end up you know after 20 games and they're eight and 12, right? Uh, yep. I would think he'd he'd be on the hot seat pretty quickly, fair or not fair. Um, and you know, we'll have to find out there, there was a criticism about, you know, in-game adjustments, uh, and that kind of thing, which, you know, he's from the pop tree and Popovich has, it's funny. He's kind of taken turns being like at the absolute high end of like amazing adjustments and being the most respectful for that, respected for that. But then there's also been times in the last several years where he's done mind boggling things and you're like, what, it, it, how could he have made that mistake? And so now I'm wondering <laughs> what that trickle-down effect is to his assistants and all those people because, you know, look at his tree right now. It's Budenholzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be in the hot seat. Uh, who else is there for uh, the, the pop tree? Uh, Mike Brown's a part of that. I mean, you get just Steve Kerr is a part of that too. A um, little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously. But anyway. But yeah, yeah but, but the, the Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce thing is an, is an interesting thing where you, that that seems to be more of a hot button than than Collins and Trey Young had yeah. a little dust up. Uh, Barajo too. Um, the, yeah. The um, the it's interesting. A couple of points on that. First, you bring up the idea of like jacking up threes early in the shot clock. Like I know it, um, Oscar Robertson's book, his autobiography, talked about just like some playing strategy and and playing point guard and about the philosophy behind it. It was funny because I was just working with Earl Watson the other night and he, we literally had a discussion about, about how you almost have to be a therapist as a, as a point guard. You're almost uplifting your team all the time, your players, like instilling confidence. And one of the things that, that Oscar Robertson said was that a point guard should never be the one. If you bring the ball to the floor, you should never then other than extreme situations, bring the ball to the floor and take the shot because essentially what you're telling guys without ever passing it is that essentially what you're telling guys is that you shouldn't even have had to run up the floor. I should have just told you, Hey, stay back. Cause I'm about to jack this thing. And, wow. and he said that like, it's, it's deflating because everybody runs up the floor. He goes, well, if you're just going to do that, like that's a trip up the floor that I didn't need to take. And I think it was interesting that even, you know, big O, um, you know, had, had that thought on the game, um, you know, so long ago, we're talking about, you know, 50 years ago and, and it still, uh, resonates today. So it's interesting that you say that. And, and you're right. The other, the other thing that's so fascinating about the Hawks situation is like, it's one thing when you're a coach and you don't have much talent, it's so easy for everyone to say, oh, that guy's a great coach. He just doesn't have, he doesn't have the roster. Just like it's easy to to nitpick a a coach who does have a lot of talent and they're winning and say, oh look, he has all that talent. I mean, there's still a special sauce that goes into it, and it's in game adjustments, it's baseline, sideline, out of bounds plays, it's how you're handling timeouts, it's um, your rotation. But there's also, you know, the again the psychology of it as a coach, not just your point guard doing it, but as a coach, you know, to motivate your guys. Uh, and and this Hawks team has enough talent to compete in the East. And to, you, to your point, if they don't, and now with the Bogdanovich injury, if they don't compete, um, it's going to be a disappointment because I really love these pieces. And I feel like with the right coach and with Trey Young, this team should be one, near the top of the East when, when the dust settles. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's that's certainly where I'm at with them. 
Yeah, you know, I missed the report about uh, Bogdanovich hurting his knee as I'm now looking at it right now. So that's that's going to be a problem. Now, he hasn't been playing great. They haven't quite figured out how to get him integrated properly. I mean, I know it was weird to me in the beginning that they were going to have him coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just seemed like he was, a, you know, that's a, he's a starter. He should be in this team. So, uh, and again, this also goes into the whole Lloyd Pierce thing where, and, and it's it's the hardest thing about being a coach in the NBA, I believe, would be the lineups. Who are you going to play together with whom? And yeah. how, how closely att- uh, do you pay attention to that stuff? Because i got to be honest, sometimes I get the impression that certain coaches don't really look at the numbers, the lineup data. And then you're going to wonder yourself, well, you know, how do you know whether or not you want to have these guys playing together if it's not going well? That you know, There's a clue. Um, so, yeah, and, and who knows? Sometimes the injury bug like that happens. Maybe Trey Young is, a little, is hurt. Bogdanovich goes down for an extended period. That actually saves the coach for a little while longer. So we'll see what happens there. But um, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for the Hawks. I want to see them do well. It's been too long. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's uh, and and you don't want to waste Trey Young's talent. I mean, there's a few guys. Nick, it's interesting because I I was just talking to someone about um, Cade Cunningham coming up, who's who's the presumptive number one pick in the in the 2021 draft. And this kid just he plays at his own pace. When you watch him play, the game go it turns into his game. He's manipulating it. It's at his pace. And I just think that that. Ability. I mean, we talk sometimes about freakish athletic ability and, oh, this guy is such an outstanding shooter. But the ability to slow a game down and play mm-hmm. it at your pace where it's almost unfair, like you're you're playing a video game and you can adjust the settings, like it's, it literally feels unfair. And I, and I think about the guys who have that skill and it's, you know, I mean, I think Larry Bird was kind of like that. Harden, you could, you could make that argument, has that. Luca has that ability. And it's just so rare. And I think Trey Young can do that at times where it's like the game just, it doesn't matter. He doesn't really get sped up. He sort of controls the pace, all that. Now, granted, when he's shooting horribly, things change because he's not as deadly and scary off, off that uh, pick and roll decision-making that he's, that he's so wonderful with, you know, pick and pop, rejecting the screen, which obviously I I love, but when he's, um, you know, when he's shooting it well, it feels like the whole game works. And that, to me, is like the great shame if the Hawks aren't going to be good because I, I was so excited to see him with weapons around him. And granted, I mean, we haven't seen Golinari. Now we've got a Bogdanovich injury. If he's nicked up, um, then obviously there's other factors that could play a part in that. But, you know, health being being first and foremost. But still, um, I'm really – I'm excited to see – what Trey Young does because when he's rolling, I love how I love guys that completely control the pace of the game and that everything slows down for them. Absolutely, you know, and it wouldn't be a a discussion with Adam Sanko without having you know some reference to a draft prospect. So <laughs> awesome! I saw a video by the way of a guy in college. You maybe have to help me. It was from the baseline, a beautiful, like a really nice camera of the great depth of the field, and he throws a almost like a baseball or maybe like a one-handed pass eighty feet with spin. Hits the guys right in the only way they can catch it on the numbers, and he gets fouled to the basket. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was some college guy, and it was amazing. Uh, and it's some guy, I guess, who does this all the time. You know, I don't know. I, it was, I uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Uh, I had shared it on Twitter. May, I must have passed you by. But anyway, there's somebody yeah. out there, kind of a weird name. Uh, who is it? Um, and anyway, you're probably talking about Lamella Ball. Coach. Okay, no, well, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he hits a little ball pass for sure, right? That's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can, gotta, I, but here, yeah. My problem is if I find that tweet, I probably won't know who it is. I think I just shared it blindly, but nonetheless. Um, well, let's talk about Lamelo because that's why I asked you to come on. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, it's it's. How about 
amazing to see. I it's funny because we're going to talk about this on our uh, on our podcast um, tomorrow for sure. I we we have to. I think I, I was just on, on the phone with Noah Kozlov, my, my co-host, and he was telling me, um, you know, I, I or rather I was telling him that it's weird. I think I was rooting against Lamelo privately for a while. Um, and I, I, I hate to admit that, but I had this like inherent bias. I saw him early on in his high school career. It was like, man, I don't like sort of how they play the attitude. Like, I don't know. They're, and meanwhile, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm judging a kid who's like 14 years old. I need to give this kid a chance. And everyone I was talking to Don McLean worked him out. Um, not even pre-draft, but uh, even a year prior to that, he was going up against uh, Casey Akpala, uh, who's now with the heat. And he was beating KZ in workouts, even though Lamella was still so young at the time. Um, you Then he goes and, and plays in Australia. I talked to Matt Walsh, who owns the New Zealand Breakers. He's telling me, you won't believe Lamello. Um, I talked to people around the league that were like, hey, you won't you won't believe this. But, like, Melo's work ethic is crazy. That's why he's going to be better than Lonzo. He works so much harder. Like, the kid just – he's one of those guys that – He'll play pickup, and then he immediately wants to return to the gym to work on different aspects of his game. He just that work ethic is is something rare, and and not a lot of guys have it. And I don't think people realize that the separation to be great, you have to have that desire to keep wanting to go back in the gym and keep improving your game. And so I say all that, and then like you know, you see what he's now starting to do in the league, and what I love about it. And I'm curious as to your thoughts, but and I know what you thought about him before the draft, but. I just love how loose he plays, even at the NBA level. It's so rare to see a guy that relaxed in games and keep that uh, that poise and composure and just feel like, oh, it's just loose. It's almost like he's still in the driveway. And I, that's, that's, <laughs> that is rare. I mean, it's so hard to, 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 to tell people how difficult it is when all of a sudden you have these world's best athletes and the size of the NBA guys nothing like you've ever experienced before to still play as relaxed as you had your whole life is, is wild. And then you see it in the, in terms of the productivity uh, last game, he was one assist shy from being um, the youngest player ever with a triple double. And then Whoa. very next game Wait, he comes th- out and goes nuts and gets the triple double. Oh, he gets, so, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 I, I was going to do a video on it, by the way, he had a move. And here's the thing I think is interesting. They sort of, it's a nice sort of symbiosis between the way he played in high school and the way he's playing now. They kind of blended them together mm-hmm. because, you know, at Chino Hills, it was a real distinct version of, you know, they, they would throw 50-foot uh, post-entry passes and right. they would just, you know, it was a weird way to watch the game. And he's used some of that stuff and that looseness you're talking about with a little bit more of the, 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 the traditional NBA game we see now. He had a move, though, on an ISO step back off one foot fadeaway. Yep. Against about Herder. 15, Against Kevin Herter. Yeah. And yep. it was like, oh, my God. But it was exactly what he would do, you know, back in high school, too. And, it, I, I, and like, you know, and by the way, like, I'd get on the court and teach that shot. Like, why not? And, then, by the way, part of the reason why it's easier to make that shot, his low release point allows him to find extra power that way when he is off of, like, the one foot and fading. And, you know, I'm looking at his three-point shot. Again, the brother, Lonzo, had the same you know, criticism about his form. And he ultimately changed it, which I'm not even sure he really had to do. But whatever. They changed it. It might be better. It might be the same. But uh, he and he's really low, you know, sets it really low in his front of his chest. But you know what? In my mind, with if, as long as he understands and, and can improves the rhythm, that will allow him to shoot it from 40, like, you know, like Steph and those guys do. Yeah, well, I was actually going to ask you about that. It's interesting that you say that because when you watch LaMelo, here's the other thing that stands out to me. 
off the dribble, his release is so quick. And so now you combine a quick release for, to the point that you're making with his six eight size and the fact that, by the way, he can attack the rim. He'll score, he'll score by the rim. He could score in the mid-range, which we've obviously seen. So that makes, obviously, his release seem even quicker. And you think at, at all times he could pass, too. So the, the idea that he's such a multidimensional threat, and you even compare that to Lonzo. You know, Lonzo forever has been criticized because he's either going to the hole or he's going to shoot a three, and there's not really that middle game for him. It's not scoring at all three levels. He misses out on that, and so there's no threat there. I just think Lamelo is so much quicker, but I was curious to ask you, like, it's so quick off the dribble, but when he's in a catch-and-shoot situation, it becomes way more exaggerated. So I was curious if you could tell me, like, why that would be, that you'd have a much slower release for a guy off a catch-and-shoot as opposed to off the dribble. Wow, a great question because I was watching that because I did. He missed one on the left wing, or maybe he made one. He missed one. He made one, and I'm. All, I was watching the one thing that jumped out at me was that his footwork was so far behind after the catch, where you know ideally, and again, the encouraging thing is you can fix this in like an hour or whatever. You can fix this in a week, um, where he was catching it and then getting his feet in the position to like plant and then jump in the air, whereas. You know, ideally, if he's hopping or even if he's not, that's happening ahead of time. So now his arms are kind of waiting for the legs to catch up, which is what mm-hmm. the, is the issue for most players. I was just looking at Kelly Oubre's shot in the same way where uh, when he's when he's making his shots, it's because his legs and his arms are in sync properly. His legs, are, his arms are not waiting for the legs to finish extending up into the shot. And that that's the two-motion shot we talk about. Now, did you see... Steph Curry, by the way, had a, uh, a play where he destroyed Paul George on the right wing uh, at the end of the game the other night. Did you see that? Yep, yep. So, I know and, and, and what's interesting about that it was it's a hyper-quick release, but it's low. And, you know, back in the day, they'd say, oh, that shot's going to get blocked. You can't shoot it that way. But it turns out, no, it's out of the hand earlier because it's lower release. Mm. And so by the time Paul George gets to his, you know, he's long and tall and he can really contest. By the time he's getting there, it's already gone because Steph Curry's releasing it low as well. So that's part of the reason why it's quicker off the dribble because all that is in motion to begin with. And it wouldn't be a surprise that it's a ball brother of all people who is going to be a little bit unconventional, right? And like have a better rhythm (laughs) and shot off the dribble than he does off the catch and shoot. Yeah, and um, but but by the way, the other thing that really dre- uh, that's that, has, that you know, jumped off the uh, the screen at me last night was how explosive he is now. He looks quicker now than he did like in Australia to me, you know. And it's changed the pace and like you know uh, doing gallops. And then all of a sudden he'll just like a water bug explode, kind of like what we see Lonzo do. I hadn't seen Lamelo do that really much before. So all of a sudden now you're talking about a guy who is like water bug quick and explosive. He's got the threat to make a pass at any time. You saw that he had a lefty layup off a pick and roll simply because yep. the guy was like, oh, he's going to pass this, he's going to pass this, and he never touched took the ball. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. He's, he's been so much fun to watch. I I just got handed uh, my daughter. <laughs> my wife gave that look, that eye roll, like you told me five minutes. And I hear you. I hear you. Listen, you know? I've been there numerous times. I put, But listen, I appreciate you and coming on and giving us this much time. Awesome talk. Uh, yeah. And let's, let's do it again. No, this is fun. We're going to do it again. Absolutely. For sure. All right. All right. Thanks, I'll, tell, I'll tell everybody how to find you. Thanks, All right. Adam. Sounds good.
So Adam is always there to uh, to talk basketball. He's always uh, on Twitter at Naismith Lives. Naismith being, you know, the guy who mentioned the game. Naismith Lives. Find him on Twitter. Follow him. Uh, and he's he comes on the show often uh, for talk about draft prospects. He really knows his stuff uh, and has the college game down pat really really well. So make sure you follow him there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to, to put a button on the uh, Lamelo Ball discussion uh, again. What I just was saying is. You know, he looks I mean, maybe it's part of him being getting a little bit more comfortable with the speed. He's now at that speed and he is now exploding and using the gallop dribble. So if you don't know what a gallop dribble is, you know, there's a skip dribble where you lift off of one foot and land the same foot like, you know, like we skip. But the gallop would be, you know, left, right, left, right. But you have the right like the right foot in front and then, then you kind of lift both feet in the air and then you kind of land again and it allows you to create a change of pace. And um you know, I know back in the day when I was playing, like in the 80s, you know, it, there was only one speed. I was you, you, Kids would just try and go 100%. And now that we understand the footwork behind a skip dribble uh, or a gallop dribble, which everybody can do in kindergarten, we can now much clearly, much more clearly teach how to change pace because you can give them these very specific footwork to allow that to happen. And let's not forget, my, the secret to basketball to me is lifting both feet in the air at the same time. And it's a powerful thing when I first kind of really got my head around it and realized, like, this is what the best players are doing. It's all those things like, you know, Russ will do it a lot. KD does it. You see Clay, you see Steph. They all lift their uh, both feet in the air at the same time you know, on the dribble and allows them to explode when they land and use the ground reaction forces uh, to do that versus just trying to, like, push off. You know, in fact, I bet you, you know, base runners on, in baseball, they just try and push off and cross the, the that, you know, the, the front foot forward and, and go to the second. I bet you there's a way that they could develop that even better and have it be more of a you lift your both feet and then you split and go how we teach, um, you know, running, turning and running on, on the defense. I wonder, I know they're running in dirt, so it might be different, but uh, that might be, that might help them. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, it's a really, it's a real key and a real advantage. And the earlier that players learn it, uh, the better they are at earlier ages, as, along with attacking on the catch. And so when I teach that uh, versus like triple threat, you know, 10, 11 year olds, when they learn that it's like, it becomes unfair because now the defense cannot catch up. So uh, that's my little spiel about uh, coaching and developing, which I haven't done in so long now because nobody can get on a damn court, at least in LA. Um, now, here's another thing that I'm concerned about as far as the COVID thing, because uh, we just saw Maxi Kleba just got quarantined. I think it's for 10 days or maybe 14 days. I try and look it up. Um, but so, so what does that mean? What does it mean when they have to be in quarantine? They got exposed to someone who has uh, COVID, right? So they might have it. They might not. We can't take a chance. But the problem is, is he played, I want to say he played last night against a whole other team. So how does that work? Because if he was possibly exposed and he went and played, um, then that means he that, that whole team he played with would need to shut it down, too. In theory, he's breathing heavy. He's within pro close proximity. And that's not happening. So I'm really worried a little bit about what's happening with this NBA season because we're seeing, you know, it's not like completely prevalent, but we just saw the Philadelphia 76ers had to like fudge it a little bit. I believe they had to get Mike Scott just to warm up as an eighth player so they didn't go out and play, but they only played with seven, if I'm not mistaken. I got to go check. And they almost won. It was kind of a close game, but let's go look at that real quick. This was on, um, let's see here, the ninth. Let's see, yesterday, the Philly played. Yeah, so Philly played against Denver. I want to say they only had seven guys available. Let's look at the box score. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right. And then Mike Scott, who I, I think was, I don't know, maybe he was too injured to play, but they just, at least they put him in the warm-ups. 
So you got to be concerned when that stuff starts happening. And we know that the Rockets had some issues too, um, and the other teams as well. And then so if that's the case and they really do follow through with the right quarantine protocols, then you have to imagine at some point you're going to talk about whole teams are just going to have to be shut down for a week. Um, and I don't know how you're supposed to do that. Like that, that, that kind of makes the season untenable in my mind. Um, God forbid anybody even gets it, you know, like, you know, like Seth Curry got, got it, uh, just before the game. So, you know, if he got it tested positive before the game, he could easily have been, you know, uh, contagious. So it's a real concern. It hit me the other day, uh, where I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know how, how tenable this season is going to be with the way they're doing this. Because again, if one guy, it can't just be one guy. They're a team. They're playing. They're practicing. Like, you know, anybody that has a quarantine protocol, most likely it has to be three or four at least of uh, his teammates and coaches and players, you know, and, and people around the team. So, you know, let's let's say a prayer that we can figure this out and maybe they're going to get the uh, injections. I, I haven't heard that. I, I kind of heard at some point that maybe NBA teams would get some sort of priority. Um at this point, now that the uh, vaccine is rolling out a little bit more, maybe they'll get in there. But again, don't, let's not forget, it's two vaccines. They're spread apart by weeks, and they're not 95% effective until a week after the second shot, which is, you know, that could take a while. So keep your eye on that uh, as well. Anybody have any other questions as we're wrapping this up? we got about seven more minutes. Let's see here. Daniel's got a comment. Um, oh, sneaky defender. I think we're talking about LaMelo. Uh, absolutely. I mean, again, I, I'm excited about, about him. But you know what actually makes me most excited about guys like LaMelo and then like Trey Young and this lineage is you have to imagine that all the seeds planted by Steph Curry, what he did in his that first year, I think, what, 14, 15, 15, 16, all the 8, 9, and 10-year-olds were watching that, you know, and being inspired by that. And then coaches began to figure out how can we – we can, you know, get this play out of, you know, younger and younger levels. We're, we should start to see more and more of these kind of players, hyper creative, um, hyper skilled and doing things on a regular basis that we hadn't seen before. You know, it's funny. I was also thinking about this, like back in the eighties, obviously the, the three point shot had just come in at the dawn of the eighties. So it was a really exciting thing. It was a punctuation at the end of a run, you know, and we all get excited when that goes in. And, you know, by now, a main three-pointer is not nearly as exciting because it's been done so many times. I also want to say, and I could be way off on this, but dunks seem to be a lot more exciting back then than they are now as well. And, I, and the reason I, I want to say that they were a little bit more rare back in the day than they are now, it's possible that's the case. The spacing wasn't nearly as good back then. So there was always guys around the basket to get in the way. So it was harder to get free for a dunk unless it was open court. Um I, I don't know. I, I watch. Someone's going to go back and have the stats and show me, oh, they don't do this as many times now they did then in the games. But it just felt that way. So I kind of wonder what's going to happen because if that creativity gets a little bit more commonplace, does that mean uh, that we're going to not be as impressed by it going forward in 10 years from now? Oh, that's a no look behind the back, through the legs, you know, 50-foot bounce pass in rhythm, in stride to a guy for a reverse dunk you know, over two guys. Uh, I, I would hope that we can continue to find the uh, – the, uh, the 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 energy and the excitement for those kind of plays, but um, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But either way, it's it's just it's a great statement about where the game is going. In my mind, that you know we're having these, these supreme players coming in, supremely talented and and uh, skilled players coming in earlier and earlier ages, and having you know huge impacts. Uh, that's exciting for a coach to see that, like, you know, we now have ways to teach these things and I'm constantly trying to bother as many of these trainers as I can. Like, Hey, what are you doing? How are you doing this stuff? Which by the way, uh, I just did a great interview with Drew Hanlon, who is one of the best NBA trainers out there, uh, on my YouTube membership. Uh, 
So if you join our YouTube membership, there's a lot of different different perks. And one of them are these exclusive interviews I'm doing with uh, guys, uh, beat writers and, and trainers and all sorts of things about that. And then also we'll have exclusive watch parties. So just like we're shopping it up here and you guys are always welcome to come and, and you know, come on the show like Daniel did and talk. Uh, you, you also can jump in on the live watch party on, on another app. And um, we can actually discuss during the games what's going on. And I do my play by play, which is usually really good and really exciting and interesting. Um, and so we're going to launch. I'm going to do, do a exclusive, uh, excuse me, exclusive watch party at some point this week. I'm going to pick a national game that everyone wants to see and I'll do it. So stay tuned for that. But again, you have to be part of the membership at the um, big man level. So uh, can you talk about Warriors versus Clippers, the second game? What do you think about Lonzo this season? And easily LB could be a high post facilitator and an amazing stretch big. Um, okay. Warriors Clippers second game. So that was the game I think we we're just talking about, right? Where uh, Seth went nuts and they came back. I watched it in Spanish. <laughs> I had just missed it live. And I, I turned out my DVR recorded it on the, uh, on the NBA Balancesso channel. And um, I mean, it was stunning how quick that happened is all I could tell you. I, I don't even know how it happened it was so quick and you know the way the ball moved it made me feel like we should check it i'm sure there's a we can look this up but the the uh when the warriors are really cooking nobody touches the ball for more than like half a second and the ball just pings all around the, the perimeter and then boom steph is getting three free or he's hitting the roll man and then they're getting a shot at the basket uh so the, it's really fun i don't know obviously if they're going to win a ton of games they'll probably be in the a little, maybe 500 a little bit better you know, uh, maybe like, you know, fifth in the conference or so. But it's fun. It's fun to watch these guys overachieve and then have Steph at the, to- at the top, obviously being the guy who's not overachieving. He's leading the whole cavalry. Um, now, that also leads to the Clippers. Now, the one thing I took from the Clippers, which is offensively, it doesn't seem like they ever get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard involved in the same action. And like maybe by purpose, they're like, well, we're going to sort of separate you guys and have you guys play opposite each other on the other side and sort of stretch the defense that way. But I don't know. It seems to me that if you have two good players like that, uh, there's a lot of different actions you can get in sort of two-man games to get them together and make it really hard on the defense. And so I would like to see some of that. And I'm going to go dig into some more footage to make sure. But that's what I saw in that game, at least, where their offense completely bogged down. They scored, you know, hardly any points in about six or seven minutes when the, when the Warriors, you know, nailed 30 or something. And it was just stunning. Uh, but that's what you got to be careful with. The Warriors are going to be like that. And it kind of reminds me, I don't know, back in the day when Steph and, and uh, Clay were just getting started with Draymond in that first year or two, first year of Steve Kerr, if they got down by a lot, it was like you knew, okay, they're really going to just start shooting threes. This is going to be exciting. Now, the game has changed a lot even since then where we shoot a lot more threes anyway. But you kind of knew like this is sort of open the gates. Okay, we're down. What what, what, do have to, what do we have to lose now? Let's get out there and just start, you know, kind of coming back with threes. And it would end up being fireworks and really exciting. So I mean, it's sort of what we're seeing now with, with this team. And they kind of have to do that because they're going to find themselves down uh, a lot, uh, I think, uh, as we go forward. But, you know, they have some talent and, and they have guys who can put piece together and, and play around each other really well, uh, you know, in that sort of what we saw Miami do. Uh, without like a super superstar, and uh, you know that kind of that kind of method, it's it's kind of exciting to watch because uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you watch the Lakers, you know what's going to happen. LeBron's going to dominate, AD's going to dominate, uh, and they're probably going to win. <laughs> so you know that's fun too, especially if you're a Lakers fan. But for me, that it's always the unknown. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? That makes it really exciting. So listen, awesome show. Can't wait to do it again. I'll be back here, I believe, on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. 
and thank you guys all. And don't forget, next time we do this, come on the show. You know, request to be a speaker. Let's talk. I want to hear from you guys too and see what you guys think about all this stuff. So don't forget, head over to YouTube. Uh, got some really great videos from this past week up. I'll get some more. Maybe maybe do a little ball breakdown. And um, don't forget, sports fans, a ball breakdown. Run a channel. We're a conversation. You win.